Hey, this is HK Perrin, and you're listening to Echoplex Media. Check out The Plex live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Pacific on twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia. At some point, we are going to have to do a whole show about how good this show sounds.
Welcome to Down Ballot, the flagship podcast of overloading your co-host's inner, uh, computer with the uh, video call. Uh, you can find this podcast on every podcatcher, and of course, you can always watch us live. Uh, that's uh, uh, Tuesdays at uh, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, twitch.tv slash Media. You could also watch on other platforms, but I just don't recommend it. Um, support this project, uh, just go to echoplexmedia.com, click the support tab, and find your favorite way. We do have some brand new Conspiracy Bingo merch you might want to check out. Talk a little bit more about that uh, during the post game. I'm Producer Dave. You can find me on Grinder And merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. This is the councilman uh, coming at you, as always, from my stepmom's basement and hoping I don't freeze on you. Um, you can find me at T-H-E underscore councilman on the X. Um, and I lurk around the other social networks under my uh, Christian given name. Uh, so just watch out for me there. I'm getting a little salty lately. Uh, had the COVID for a few weeks. So it's been about a month uh, indoors, not really seeing many people outside of producer Dave and uh, also not able to smoke my medicine, um, which is what I need to do. I, I cannot take the edibles. Unfortunately, it makes me too anxious. Um, so I had a month of not being able to smoke my medicine, but now I'm back. I'm feeling much better. And of course, there's always Mr. Beer. So, you know, that helps. Yeah, yeah. I'll be uh, drinking some vodka during the post game as usual. As usual, though, I've been, uh, though I've been the bottle of vodka been lasting me longer and longer as I get less and less inclined to get trashed uh, during the post game. It turns out you're uh, better at these kinds of things when you're mostly sober. What are you What are you sipping on? That's true, actually. That's why I don't smoke anymore before the show. But um, uh, this is a uh, in honor of APEC. This is San Francisco Brewing's. Uh, uh, Carl the Fog Hazy IPA, very very delicious. But yeah, I try to keep it real uh, when we're in down ballot mode, and I think I've been extra spicy the last couple of weeks because I haven't been totally blitzed out of my <laughs> mind. So this is actually going to be nice and refreshing uh, uh, today. But um, should we jump right into the docket? Yeah. What do we got for leading off? Well, uh, something I think you would appreciate because we've been talking about it a bit lately in terms of um, San Francisco becoming more, you know, being more welcoming, right, and and putting on its best face. Uh, it looks like the folks in the Castro District are welcoming APEC by organizing, wait for it, GAYPEC. No kidding. We're gonna learn, we're, <laughs> well, we're going to learn more from KPIX, and then Producer Dave is our resident uh, expert on all things gay. You can definitely uh, <laughs> let, you can definitely tell us if they call bullshit on anything and, and, and give us your honest take. Well, let's see what uh, they have to say. Well, one event happening this week during the APEC Summit hopes to celebrate the unique diversity of the Bay Area with large AAPI and LGBTQ communities. And our Sean Chitness is live this morning in the Castro District with more on the event called GayPEC, an LGBTQ plus party for APEC. And good morning to you once again, Sean. It seems to be a nice blend of addressing serious issues while having some fun. Nicole, that's right. They definitely want to party, but they also want to talk about equality for the LGBTQ community, specifically in the Asia Pacific region. That's because among the nations that are in APEC, there is a range of policies for queer people. So GAYPEC hopes to be a celebration for the delegates and visitors that are here, celebrating the intersectionality of AAPI and LGBTQ identities, also looking at the history of this neighborhood and using it to push for progress and more acceptance abroad.
The Castro has become a destination for visitors decade after decade since becoming an iconic neighborhood in San Francisco. Not only for its historic role in LGBTQ rights, but the sense of community it continues to offer today. So Bay Area leaders decided it was the perfect place to host a party during the APEC summit. We're excited to be able to host GAPEC recognizing the intersectionality the Asian Pacific Islander community, as well as our strong LGBTQ plus community. South Bay Assembly member Evan Lowe wants to lean into those large demographics and set an example for how they can thrive, especially for those who identify as both. If APEC was going to be in my hometown, um, I really ought to help put together something big and gay and queer um, for the event. San Francisco Supervisor Rafael Mandelman's district includes the Castro. He says they had to take this opportunity while hosting one of the largest international events in the city's history. I do think that there's tremendous power in community. Mandelman acknowledges that because the level of acceptance for LGBTQ people in the Asia-Pacific region can vary, it may not be easy for some attending APEC to show up to an event like this. There are also delegates who, for whom coming to an event like this may take a little bit of courage and may, may even be a little bit risky. Assemblymember Lowe adds that the fight for more rights in those nations motivates the organizers to lead by example, showing how everyone benefits from a more inclusive society. We want to show the world how absolutely fabulous we are here in San Francisco in the Bay Area. So on the serious side, we are talking about issues related to marriage equality, adoption rights, as well as hospital visits, being able to serve in the military and donate blood. But like we said, it's also a party. They have a full guest list and they are looking forward to having multiple drag queens perform on Wednesday night. Nicole, back to you. Great. Thanks for not telling us where it is. (laughs) Multiple drag queens, Um, not just one. Uh, Yeah, seriously. I I mean, I guess just walk towards castro street and you'll just you'll just follow follow the gay or follow follow the smell of maybe not so much no not so much but just follow your nose i don't know uh look for the smell of dirty money that could be it too that could be it too it's but some politicians behind this i've noticed too so who knows what what could what nefarious purposes could be lurking beneath the gay peck um are you going to be heading down there no no. Okay. If if it's Fair. in if it's in the Castro proper and they expect a big turnout, I can only actually think of like one venue, and that's the Castro Theater. Sure. Right. Because um, the, is... the clubs, like all the bars and clubs, are actually pretty small in that in that area. The big clubs are all south of Market. It could be some sort of you know South First Fridays, Open Streets, you know, festival thing where all the businesses are participating. Um, but yeah, not not a lot, really short on detail in terms of where and when and how to access all the fun. So. I guess they just expect you to go down there and, and figure it out for yourself. Um, <clears throat> or maybe they're maybe they're hoping that mostly attendees of this conference will go, and so they're kind of not telling the public like m- much about it. There you go. Yeah, it could be like a semi-exclude but not exclude thing. Um, yeah. But they're handing they're handing out info at Moscone Center, right, and a little map and like maybe little like icons on the map um, of things to do. Little rainbow icon, like go this way. Walk this way. These people from these people from like the from Asia coming here. When they see our subway, they're going to be like, "What the fuck is this?" Right? (laughs) They're going to be like, "Why is what? What the fuck is your? Why is your transit system like this?" Right. I I I have to take three different transit systems to go six blocks. This is weird. Well, if it's Um, from if it's from Moscone to the Castro, there's uh, a KL or M line on the underground that just takes you right there. Oh snap! I you know what I. Haven't really experienced a lot of that uh, that newfangled uh, underground community <clears throat> it's line. Been there 
since the Bavaria. It's been there since I've been going to the Castro, sir. Oh, lovely. Well, there you go then. <laughs> you're not much of a public transit guy is what's going on. No, that's definitely not. Oh, also, you li- never lived there. Yeah, and also, I'm also, yeah, exactly. I did live in the uh, outer Richmond for a, a summer, but that doesn't qual- that doesn't count. Um, yeah, no, I've never really been. And, and frankly, I haven't gone to San Francisco to like really invest a large amount of time outside of concerts and sporting events from here, uh, here to there. But uh, So I haven't really spent significant amounts of time in the city. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. It's been since before COVID, but prior, um, I think, oh, wait, prior to starting a podcast, wait a minute, prior to starting a podcast when I had a boyfriend, uh, we would go spend the weekend in the Ooh. city all the time. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well, they... hmm. I wonder what the problem <laughs> is here. <laughs> Are you putting out hints there, feelers? Um, everyone, everyone out there, you know, let's find producer Dave some love and so he can go back to the Castro and hang oh, out. Oh my God, no, I don't, uh, you're, I'm not having a hard time finding um, uh, temporary love. No, oh, no okay. problem. No problem there. Looking for love in all the right places then. That's yeah, good. yeah. That's good. Anyway, this the, is, uh, and, that, was, that was a little, little too much information for Town Palette. That was uh, definitely more red light material. Um, what do we got for winners and losers? Well, segueing uh, into our the medias portion of our show, um, some news arose this week and allegations arose this week. We're going to hear a few um, allegations of racism and toxic environments um, coming up later in Down Ballot Watch, but uh, this is... Uh, under winners and losers because couldn't fit everything under down ballot watch this week. Uh, and a local homeless or housing services provider or pro- uh, provider of services to our unhoused uh, neighbors uh, is come under fire of late for uh, potentially having a, a toxic workplace environment for people of color and others who, you know, don't necessarily, um, you know, uh, you know, apparently don't necessarily fit the mold of what they're looking for in terms of their employees. So we're going to learn more about it from KTVU and what the NAACP has to say about it. New at 10, a Bay Area homeless services provider is being accused of toxic work environments. And now the Silicon Valley chapter of the NAACP is getting involved. KTVU South Bay reporter LaMonica Peters live tonight in Sunnyvale. Oh yeah, what's up LaMonica? The says it believes black employees, LaMonica, have been unfairly fired. Mike, I spoke to a former employee who says he never had any problems while working for Home First until August when he says he was attacked by clients. He says instead of being supported, he was fired. I never had any write-ups. I never had any disciplinary actions. Leroy Thomas Jr. says he worked for Home First for five years but was fired in August. He says at least three clients attacked him while at work for asking them to follow parking rules. Thomas says another employee tried to help him, and Home First has the incident on surveillance video. Why did you fire me? You can't even see anything. I'm in and out. I'm in and out. How's I'm in and out when I'm on the ground? It don't it doesn't fit the story and it makes me mad it makes me uncomfortable home first provides services shelter and housing to homeless people in the bay area thomas believes he and other black employees at the home first shelter in sunnyvale have been treated unfairly and asked the san jose I mean, black people being treated unfairly in sunnyvale you don't say looking shocked NAACP to investigate their firings it just seems like the black employees are being fired for doing some of the same thing the white employees are not being fired who are given other training. And so that that's part of the best part of the problem. Home First released a statement saying in part, we have invited the former employees to waive their privacy rights and publicly make their employee files available. We've invited we've invited you to get doxxed. 
<laughs> That's pretty much what they're saying. No, we would, we would, we would, be, uh, uh, we would be happy to publish those email exchanges. Actually, <laughs> oh my right. God. allowing us to refute their tenuous claims more publicly. We believe these files reinforce Home First justified reasons for the terminations. Reverend Moore says they're considering a lawsuit, but more importantly, he'd like to see local government get involved. We're expecting the city of San Jose, the city of Sunnyvale and the county of Santa Clara to no longer fund home first. If they're not going, if, if the black population is the high, homeless population is the highest and you're firing black people who are best suited to work with our people. Now, Home First denies these allegations and says that 70% of the 450 employees are people of color and 14% of those people identify as black. Reverend Moore says that they plan to present their findings to San Jose City Council on Tuesday. Mike? LaMonica Peters, live tonight in Sunnyvale. LaMonica, thank you. Okay, so this is, this is going to be another case of somebody going to a local government meeting to discuss something that the local government has no control over. The city of San Jose does not have any control over uh, the, Santa, uh, the Sunnyvale business. They should be going either to Sunnyvale or to the county. Yes, in a way. Uh, so one, this is going to be something where you'll love it. This is one of those issues where it's not agendized, right? So it's going to be during open forum. So there's going to be coming up and talking to the council one way, and there's really no way the council can interact with them because this isn't anything that's on their agenda right now. Um, so that's going to be a one-way conversation they're having regardless. But they, their point is to get the information out. Home First, uh, the organization, is actually headquartered in San Jose, um, has a shelter in Sunnyvale, but they're, they're countywide. Um, so they do do business with San Jose. They have a shelter oh, in San Jose near the you. plant, the, the Picardo Center near uh, on Little Orchard near the plant shopping center. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but that's their facility. That's their shelter. Um, so they do a lot of business with San Jose and San Jose. They are one of San Jose's contractors um, on, uh, you know, reducing homelessness and all of their homelessness prevention. So there actually is um, some some uh, point, even though it's the incidences that they were talking about are happening in Sunnyvale, there's certainly some pressure points they can find in San Jose and at the county because that we do fund this organization um, uh, here as well. Um, but yeah, their beef is with the Sunnyvale facility, it seems like. It could be the management of that facility. Um, but uh, this is not the first time that this organization has come under fire for incidences like these, um, not with employees, but also with clients, like the the, um, the folks that are getting services provided to them. There have been accusations of sexism, racism, um, special treatment, double standards. One of these employees, in fact, you know, if you, uh, again, it's... Uh, Home first is somewhat right. It's it's a HR issue, right? And there are privacy laws around that. So there's only so much they can actually say or respond to unless the employee wants to talk about it um, publicly. Uh, but one employee claims that he was fired because he continued to bring his dog to work because he was formerly homeless and didn't have a place to say keep his dog anyway um or to anyone to put him with or put board him with which is really expensive so similar to child care issues right so that they he brought the dog to work and apparently that was just uh, verboten and that was a fireable offense not a you know uh, a warning or a, no warning no uh you know stipulation and that's really another issue that, that here that there really it seems like there was a lack of warning or a lack of opportunity to you know, learn or train if there was a problem or if there was a mistake made, right? It seems like there's, it's almost like a no tolerance policy and that doesn't really compute for an organization that's supposed to be reaching out and helping people who are on the street, right? Um, so <clears throat> there's definitely something going on here where there's a lot of smoke, there is fire, um, but yet to be seen whether it's at the, you know, sort of 
local facility level or if it's more system-wide within the nonprofit. Um, but the evidence suggests that it might be a little more system-wide. Um, but we'll, we'll learn more as, as uh, this progresses, and especially if they do sue, the employees do sue, home first we'll certainly find out more. So I'm going to call a little bit of an ad lib here for winners and losers, because this is a story that uh, just popped up actually in my suggestions here. And so we're going to go ahead and check in on the story of uh, the man who is accused of attacking Nancy Pelosi's uh, husband oh, very in nice. their home. Very um, nice. I, I didn't quite know if we wanted to throw that in here, if you were covering that on the Sunday show. But yeah, let's let's talk about it now since it's local. Why not both? Why not? We can have both. We got time. A chilling hour of testimony where David DePap took the stand, breaking out in tears several times as he described his beliefs about Hollywood pedophiles and his attempt to, quote, search for the truth. Whoa, pilled to the gills, friendo, pilled to the gills. Hello. For the attack on Paul Pelosi. What's up, QAnon? DePap lived in Hawaii for two years before moving to the Bay Area to work as a carpenter. He told the jury he would spend his off time sitting in the garage where he lived, playing video games, watching YouTube, and listening to right-wing podcasts. DePap testified that combination. podcasters James Lindsay talked extensively about Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi and a University of Michigan professor, also known as Target One, on his so-called hit list. If there are jurors on this panel, that feel empathetic to him, that believe him, all it takes is one. Federal criminal defense attorney Adam Gasner says DePap did not meet the bar for a federal insanity defense. But to reach the bar to be federally insane, to be able to put in an insanity defense, you have to show uh, by a uh, clear and convincing evidence that he does not know the conduct that he's participating in. He doesn't appreciate the gravity of it. DePap told the jury he only remembered hitting Paul Pelosi once, yet the surgeon who treated Mr. Pelosi testified he had injuries from being hit three times, including a five-centimeter laceration at the top of his head, close to a critical blood vessel. The crux of this case comes down to the facts and whether or not the evidence supports the charges. The defense spent a great deal of time today trying to paint a picture that David DePap was not motivated by Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi's official duties as a member of Congress. But even the judge pointed out during pretrial discussion, the evidence refutes that. DePap's target one, Gail Rubin, a professor who studies anthropology in women's and gender studies, also testified. DePap believed a false theory that she supports child pedophilia. The defense asked questions about her sex-related papers criticized by the right-wing media. We also heard from the former speaker's chief of staff, who was asked about the difference between official and campaign business. The trial resumes tomorrow and we'll stand by on a possible verdict. In San Francisco, Stephanie Sierra, ABC 7 News. This is actually kind of a big deal. This might be <clears throat> the first time like a high profile case is going to involve like Pizzagate slash QAnon. Um, there have obviously been other cases where violence has resulted from this, but this is this, this, this guy went to the fucking went to a, a well-known congressperson's house with an ax to grind no less and to swing and to swing around. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, uh, this, it just definitely brings it into the forefront. I mean, I, I remember Pizzagate was you know, kind of prominent at the time um, and some similar themes. But I don't think uh, rose to the level of, of this, and especially this um, level of uh, threat to a very prominent member of our of our government, uh, and certainly of actual physical violence against her her spouse. So, yeah, uh, it's certainly going to bring it to the forefront of a lot of people's attention. But it's uh, again one of those things that you and I and others, and you especially on this network, and have been talking about for 
many years um, as a very real and very serious concern um, and try to sh shine light on it as we do. Uh, I hope, hopefully now more people will listen now that it's not just us, it's actually the Monica Peters and, <laughs> and the local news uh, stepping in to, to, to cover it. So they were, <clears throat> they were trying to, like, it sounded like the defense was trying to say that, <clears throat> that, that this wasn't as a result of her official duties is as a congressperson. And I'm not sure why that would matter because like the thing that <clears throat> the motivation is, is a, you know, a political a satanic panic, basically conspiracy theory about the Democrats. So yeah, of course she's not doing the things that, that he's like saying she's doing, but he, he, his belief, if, if I, you know, would wager a guess here was that her official capacity in the house of representatives allowed her to do these things that he believed that she was doing, that she was clearly not doing because it is a, an almost absurd conspiracy theory. Yeah. I, I don't particularly know what that defense, that line of defense is all about and how it's meant to help the client. Um, it seems counterintuitive. In fact, like if you're trying to go for the insanity plea, right, it would seem appropriate to lump all of this together and to, to make the, the, all the conspiracy, conspiracy theories he espouses and believes in and lump it all into a, a mold of, you know, yeah, he's like, who would believe any of this? He's obviously out of his mind. Uh, so maybe it is to, maybe it is to maybe frame it more as a completely random act, right? And that would therefore qualify more as an insanity, right? It's a random act as opposed to something premeditated where he had a thought process like, well, Nancy Pelosi did this as a Congress member and therefore this happened and therefore this happened and that's why I'm doing this. Whereas with insanity, it would just be like you're completely detached from that reality and that sort of causation and therefore you're just doing this in, in, at random, right? It just it just happened to be Nancy Pelosi's house, right? It just happened to be Nancy Pelosi's husband um, and you were there uh, just uh, uh, because you're nuts. So I think that they're they're struggling because they don't really have a good defense, right? Because um, they've got video, like body cam video, of this guy doing the thing, right? It's they're it's pretty open and shut. Um, so I, I think they're grasping at straws, trying to get whatever they can and and try to uh, help their client. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's just a really impossible case for them to to get around. Um, uh, there might be, I, there could be some sort of additional. Uh, you know, uh, re uh, requirements for sentencing or, you know, uh, or all, all, uh, other charges that could be filed specific to, you know, harassment of public officials or that kind of thing. That could be sort of like hate crimes, right? Right. That could be, that could be a case, uh, the case here. I'm not entirely certain. I don't, maybe some of someone in the chat or someone in our realm can, can let us know if they're an attorney and have better knowledge, but that would seem to be why they would try to do that just to detach it from that. So it wouldn't escalate the, whatever punishment he's going to face regardless. I mean, he's not going to fry, but he's certainly going to you know, face some years in jail. Um, so maybe they're trying to reduce that as much as possible by making it seem more innocuous. So I just want to be clear here too, that um, <clears throat> uh, belief in a false conspiracy theory is not in the DSM five. Uh, the mental health community does not believe that these are mental health problems and that there's no evidence that people who are uh, diagnosed with uh, mental illness under the DSM five are more prone to believe um, these specific kinds of political conspiracy theories. There are people who are delusional, uh, for lack of a better term, in one way or another, but that tends not to manifest itself in QAnon, right? It tends to manifest itself in other right. maybe more personal ways. And right. uh, um, actually, I'll stop talking now because this is the part of it where my expertise hits a, hits a cliff, and now I'm like running like Wiley e. Coyote when there's no ground under me. Sure. But uh, I just want to, you know, down. I just want to be, I just want to be, you know, 
get get this kind of on the record from this network that there are people in our community here who are have uh, mental illness and none of them behave in this way. And right. those those who are diagnosed with mental illness are far more likely to be the victims of violent and property crime than they are to be the perpetrators. Yep, it's uh, it, it does not take you know a mental illness to believe these conspiracy theories and to act upon them, right? Um, you can be perfectly sane. And in fact, most people I think who follow, follow and espouse these theories are and would qualify as perfectly sane. They have simply been radicalized or just, uh, and have, have, have gone down a path of, uh, of the path of to the thoughts and beliefs and values that they have now. Right. And it's, it's been a, a progress, a pro progression of their whole lives in some cases. Right. And, but never a moment of insanity. Um, in fact, they would probably tell you that they're, you know, before they get caught, before they're trying to plead insanity, they'd probably tell you they're, they're saner than anyone else, right? They're the same. They're the ones that see it all, right? Like you're all crazy. We're all crazy. And they're the ones who see it bright and clear. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's not, it's definitely not mutually exclusive. You can be absolutely sane and believe these things. You can be absolutely, you can have mental health issues and still you know, agree with the values we try to espouse, right? Reality and, and, uh, and compassion and empathy. So, um, and understanding. So, and you had touched on something too, and I just want to give a like a shout out to. Uh, I'm not going to name names because I'll leave people out, but I do want to give a shout out to the people who've been researching uh, conspiracism and uh, online cult like behavior uh, since before, <clears throat> basically before QAnon, and before that, uh, the, a lot of us were not really considered to be experts in anything, and uh, we would, we would be accused even by other like journalist minded people of just kind of laughing at crazy people or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, um, no, we were, we were right, uh, as a group and to various degrees with various different tactics, we were generally correct about how this stuff was going to be a big fucking problem. And, yep. um, you know, I guess, yeah, 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 yeah. Although that's not really good either because it would be better if we were wrong. Sure. It's one of those situations where you don't want to say, I told you so. Um, you'd prefer not to have to say it, but we did kind of tell you so. Um, but now it's, but now it's the question still remains like, what do we do about it? Right. And the best thing we can keep doing here, I think is shining a light on it and, uh, allowing people, yes, to make up their own minds, but to, to show, to poke holes into, 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 um, blow holes in, in these conspiracy theories and in the people that espouse them and try to wake everyone up, um, who's been, sucked in right if we can but in the meantime making sure no one else gets sucked up in it and we we have the truth on our side yeah and just there's just a lot of grifters uh floating around out there that are making a lot of money on this stuff so yep some of them in san jose some of them in churches in san jose oh did i say that out loud so um we're gonna move on to the water in san jose i have no idea what's going on i've seen pictures of the cloudy water we'll see what uh nbc bay area has to say about the cloudy san jose water Water, water everywhere, but not a drop anybody wants to drink. That's the concern for people in parts of San Jose after their water started to look and taste different and not in a good way. There's NBC Bay Area Scott Budman on what's behind the change and how long it'll stay that way. When the tap turns on. It just happened uh, this week. 
Kelsey Kirk notices. And it was like muddy brown. Something has changed. The water is cloudy, and people here in the Santa Teresa area of San Jose are talking about it. It was kind of murky. This is different. For about two weeks now, people living in the shaded area, Santa Teresa, Cambrian, basically from where 17 meets 85 to the end of Almaden Expressway, have seen their water get cloudy with a metallic taste. I used to have tap water all the time, but uh, now I've switched to my fridge, which has a filter. Here's the reason why. Maintenance being done to the Santa Teresa water treatment plant. We're also doing some infrastructure work with our pipelines that deliver the water to uh, our retailers. So while we do this important work and, and are getting in there, that means that there may be a source change of water for some of our retailers. Source change, which for those who get their water from San Jose water, means locally sourced groundwater. SJ Water insists it's safe, but admits it will look cloudy at first with a different taste. It's glad that you're bringing it to my attention so that because uh, we cook with it. The change is expected to last about six months. In San Jose, Scott Budman, NBC, Bay Area News. Actually, I'm going to go down there and try some of it. Seriously, I think, you, didn't you used to live or sort of live near adjacent yeah, to yeah. I, I think, in that area? I think where I was was just outside of that range, but it's yeah. hard to tell because yeah. the map wasn't exactly, you know, it didn't have addresses and shit on it, right? Not super accurate, yeah. Um, yeah, I... I the only thing that intrigues me here, I mean, yeah, this happens. This actually happens more often than you we'd like to talk about. But um, providers turning over, water retailers turning over, and changing up uh, situations, and sometimes pipes get changed out, and you don't really hear about it. And suddenly, something's you know in your water, and you don't know. But this is this just seems like for six months that for this to have to go on, right, with this change, um, this transition, that seems like an awful lot. And you'd seem you'd think that they would figure out another stopgap, like importing water from another source while the transition happens and the pipes get acclimated or whatever it's causing the, the fogginess. But six months is a lot to ask of folks. I could see like six days or six weeks even, but it seems like a long time to, to ask folks, especially especially in Almaden, um, where where they like to remind us that they pay good money to live in a, uh, in Almaden and in this nice community, and they deserve better as far as uh, services go. But I would argue, yeah, they, they kind of deserve something a little better here. At least they're at the very least, at least they're explaining what's happening, right? And then people aren't just getting cloudy water and have no idea what's going on and have to run up the flagpole to figure it out. Um, but Matt Keller, who was an old ABC reporter, by the way, local ABC reporter, is now their public information officer. Um, so Valley Water is getting out, trying to get ahead of it and let people know, but it doesn't mitigate that they're going to spend six months with cloudy water. It's just like, like that guy said, well, at least I know why the water is cloudy. <laughs> now I have to make a call about whether I get buy bottled water for the next six months. You know, somebody in the chat said, oh, there's people in the Bay Area that drink tap water. Actually, the tap water in the Bay Area is really good. It's actually fairly clean, fairly clean, no matter what service you're getting it from. A lot of folks in the Bay Area get it from Hetch Hetchy from the reservoir that was created up near Yosemite Valley many years ago. Um and it's fully processed many, many times over as it makes, it way to, makes its way down. It's very clean water. It's Sierra snow runoff, basically. Um, and, you know, water generally uh, speaking here and groundwater included is, is actually pretty clean. The tap water is fairly clean here. Um, you could do a lot worse if you were in Flint, Michigan, that's for sure. I drink my, my uh, the good wife is a avid bottle of water drinker, um, but I, I drink the tap and I haven't noticed much of a problem with me yet. Well, no, nothing we can attribute to the tap water anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I fucking could. I wish I could blame all of it on the tap water, uh, all my saltiness and my 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 mood swings. Um, it's just the water, I swear, mom. It's the water. Um, 
but yeah, no, I've, I haven't noticed too much difference. Um, uh, but then again, I also drink a lot of water laced with coffee too. So maybe that's, that's mitigating the problem. My water's, my water's already dirty as shit. <laughs> coffee beans. It's called coffee. It's called coffee. Yeah. That's all I drink really. <laughs> beer and coffee. <laughs> anyway, hazy IPA too. I drink the foggy beer, no less. So like I'm, you know, I'm into the, the hazy beer. To yeah, you should just call it hazy and charge more for it. That's exactly. That's what they, I mean, it's really what it, they, a hazy water. There you go. Right. Um, I don't know where this hazy thing. I mean, all I natural like it, hops. But, right in my water that'd actually be pretty man i'd be down for hazy beer water that'd be, that'd oh be god bad. all right we're gonna move on here the oakland a's fans are uh trying still trying to keep the a's in oakland and uh we'll see we'll see what their current tactic is Oakland's mayor and diehard A's fans made a last-ditch plea to the MLB owners today, less than a week ahead of their meeting next week, where they will vote to decide if the A's relocate to Las Vegas. And the Hail Mary isn't what you'd expect. The city uh, sent 15 MLB owners personalized gift boxes with a letter from Mayor... A bribe? So we open it up. Maybe. ...out-of-the-box idea. We have in here, let's see, a baseball cap. Oakland Mayor Sheng Tao sent 15... He sent weed, my God. ...baseball owners right? personalized gift boxes... There's a CD in there. ...68's an Oakland fan group. Yeah, I don't know even what the fuck the CD's for. I don't even have a thing to play CDs on. ...and in all the uh, design work around it. The boxes included a letter from Tao, along with a postcard, which lists the reasons why the A's should stay in Oakland. There's also a DVD and digital copy of a 10-minute video created by the Summer oh. Cell Group, along with a T-shirt, hat... A QR code would have been more useful each one of the baseball cards is to a youtube video that the box is being sent to that is in my view laughable bay area sports consultant andy dolich mocked the gesture believing more could have he's like who has a dvd player anymore (laughs) by oakland city leadership you're sending a gift box to the owners a week before they're making a multi-billion dollar decision not just on the Oakland A's, but on their franchises and their net asset appreciation, and you got some stuff in it. <laughs> I love Andy Dolich. Uh, Who's Andy Dolich? We got to get him on to talk more about this. We could be like, dude, fucking, let's let's go. Cuffs are off, friendo. This is uh, this he, is Twitch. He is a sports business consultant. He's a former. I want to say he's a former baseball executive. Um, been around Bay Area sports for a long time um, and has consulted for teams uh, before in public relations campaigns um, and business campaigns. But yeah, no, he's, he's definitely knows what he's talking about and he's dead, right? Like this is the, this is the silliest thing ever. Like we're going to send them a shoebox, you know, uh, a care package when they're making like this multi, he said multi-billion dollar decision about their future. Right. And it is, the cards are stacked against them already. The baseball cards and other cards. Um, and so this isn't going to make a dent. And by the way, they're they're sending only fifteen. There's thirty owners, so I guess they're only they, they're targeting. Maybe they're targeting just to save money, like we do in political campaigns. But they're targeting the votes they think they can get. Um, it is a two thirds vote, I think, threshold that's required. But I I don't see the A's not getting there. This is such a a money maker for them long term. And if it's a money maker for them, it's a money maker for the league and the re- the rest of the owners because they all share revenue when it comes down at the end of the day. So uh, rising tide lifts all boats. So they will obviously vote to on the better deal and that's in vegas now unfortunately for for oakland it sucks but this yeah like andy, andy said a, a gift box isn't going to solve anything um are very actionable legal and legislative 
opportunities that Oakland has never utilized. MLB owners meet in Arlington, Texas for three days beginning Tuesday and will almost certainly vote to relocate the A's, according to Dolich. It's a massive money-making move for A's owner John Fisher and the rest of the MLB owners stand to profit as well. But even after the vote, the deal won't be done. Fisher still needs to finance and build the new stadium. I don't think it's too late. I, I, we're going to just keep doing it until shovels in the ground in Vegas. We're going to keep doing it. Yeah, like I said, sad for people of Oakland. They've lost the, the Warriors moved back across the bay to San Francisco. The Raiders moved to Las Vegas. And now it looks like the A's might move there, too. So good for Las Vegas. Um, but yeah, this isn't going to solve. This isn't going to change anything. And Andy Dolich is right. There are legislative other opportunities they could have used in other political uh, mechanisms. But they, they, you know, the city of Oakland aired on the side of what San Jose aired on when they tried to snag the A's and the Giants got in the way because the they have territorial rights to San Jose. Um, they didn't play hardball. You know, they came in trying to appease everybody and make everyone happy. And that, you know, if you really want to fight for your city, you got to play hardball. No pun intended. Um, you got to, or maybe pun intended, you got to be ready to go to the mattresses. You got to be ready to go all the way. And they just tried too hard to appease the A's and to, to make the A's their friend and to, you know, um, to, to satiate them when really they were looking at moving. I mean, it's the better deal for them to move. So you really have to force the issue. If you want, you know, if you really want them to stay, you have to force the issue. You have to not rely on making the A's or the sports team, your friend. And as we've talked about before, right? I mean, that's the, it's not a really great relationship to be in anyway, is being friends with your sports team because they don't necessarily generate shit tons of revenue for you anyway. And they'll turn on you at a moment. So they'll turn on you and walk away like these guys are doing now. Right. So uh, it's not a very lucrative situation to be in anyway. So why not just, you know, make the, make the play or maybe good riddance, maybe not having sports teams at all will actually benefit Oakland in the long run, right? There were less hassle, more land to do uh, other more higher purposes with like housing or other development. So, Hey, maybe it's good riddance and, and better off for the city. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I don't really have a, have a dog in this fight. I don't really care that much. Um, <clears throat> I care for fans. I care for the people. Like I, cause I'm no, as a sports fan myself, I mean, I, I, certainly can understand the, the the what the trauma of like your team just up and leaving right the team you grew up rooting for right next door just gone right um but i will point out that the a's will be the most moved team they already are one of those moved teams ever they've, they've already been in this is oakland is their third city they've been around since the um early 1900s and they've been in three cities philadelphia kansas city and now here so this will just be their fourth city so they'll have the record for team that's been in the most the franchise that's been that's been housed in the most cities um, so it's not like anything new. It just hasn't happened to them since like 1968 or whenever they moved to, to Oakland in the first place. So, eh. yeah, so, I, I'll, I'll remember this, remember this kind of tactic when it comes time to like talk with my, my landlord or <laughs> about, <laughs> about changes in our mortgage. So it's a uh, very rare actually that we run a <clears throat> local news story that impacts someone I know personally. And uh, this oh. one, this next one here does. Oh, interesting. Um, I had no idea. I just I threw it on because I thought it was an interesting story. So why don't we, I'll, uh, I'll talk a little bit. Uh, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it after uh, we run this clip here. Attend a downtown Oakland bar owner says that his landlord is trying to force him out of his lease. The LGBT bar is known for its live entertainment, and the owner claims that he believes the landlord has a problem with that. KTVU's Joey Horta joins us live from Oakland after speaking with the owner tonight. Joey. Yeah, Christina, he says that he's being discriminated against. After seven years of renting this space, he's worried about being evicted because of the live entertainment he provides. 
Just below the Paramount Theater sign and to the left sits the Port Bar in downtown Oakland. It's been a gathering place for the LGBTQ plus community since 2016. We usually come here before we uh, uh, go to a, uh, every time I go to a concert at the Fox Theater. But bar owner Sean Sullivan got served with something that's not on the menu. He claims the landlord, Phil Long of Alameda Bay Farm Investment, has an issue with the venue's live entertainment. Karaoke, trivia, DJs and dancing. That includes drag shows, all of which he has permits for from the city. But the landlord wants it to stop and is threatening to evict the bar owners at the end of 2024, cutting the lease short by three years. Eliminating queer programming would be eliminating jobs. That would include dozens of performers and promoters. Sullivan feels he's being discriminated against. So basically all of our queer programming is somehow uh, offensive to him. The landlord tells Sullivan the live entertainment is dangerous. Drag brunch spills out into the streets. Yes, our drag queens will go and dance in the street and car windows will roll down and people will wave money at them. In an email obtained by KTVU, Steve Williams, a lawyer representing the landlord, says the bar doesn't have enough space to accommodate live entertainment which he says is a liability. He characterizes what, what we're doing as, you know, dangerous or law-breaking. And this is like thought from another time. He also claims a karaoke bar is moving in next door, which is also live entertainment. It's the same building owned by the Port Bar's landlord where the front windows were shot out in October. Feel and we, the police feel that it is a targeted incident. The bar owners are hoping they'll still be there when the lease ends in 2027, but they're worried they'll get evicted next year. Oh, that would suck. This is like the first gay bar that I came to when I moved to the Bay a few years ago. So it would be pretty significant if it just stopped existing. Now we reached out to the landlord's lawyers for comment. They have not responded to our calls just yet, but the port bar owner says if they do have to move out, it's going to cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up shop somewhere else. Back to you. All right, Joey Horder at Live at Oakland High. Joey, thank you. So a friend of the show, uh, occasional co-host of the Cults and the Satanic Panic broadcast, DJ Star Noir, uh, had a recurring event going on there. And, uh, Helped with an event there that was a fundraiser after the windows were fucking shot out. And um, <clears throat> I don't, I haven't talked to her about uh, the eviction. Maybe she's not aware of it, but I'll, I'll hit her up and see if she, see if she maybe has some of the inside dope on this. That would be great. Yeah. Bring it back to town ballot for sure. It's, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I'm no surprise that the landlord is, uh, you know, hasn't commented yet. Right. Um, yet to be seen what the, what, their ultimate motivation is, but you know, it doesn't look great. Um, and it seems like a, I, I have not been to this establishment, um, but it seems like a very, uh, you know, important place, uh, in, in the city, uh, for the LGBTQ community, um, and an important, uh, gathering spot for the community in general. So I've always, always hate to see local watering holes and small businesses, um, uh, gentrified and, and displaced regardless of the clientele they serve. They serve the community. And the community needs more spaces like that, more clean, well-lighted spaces where people can gather and have fun and, and be themselves. And the it is part. my own, only my own laziness and lack of follow-up that I haven't rocked the discotheque at this particular location. Because like I said, I do uh, have a, you know, a long-standing friendship and to some degree, I guess, professional relationship with one of the promoters there. So um, Never maybe, a better time. maybe I should uh, double back on that and uh, 
see if I can't uh, maybe miss a Catterday or uh, a Conspiracy Bingo and uh, play some music there. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe they're doing a benefit show to help save the place too, or, or uh, maybe buy it out. Who knows? You could, you could support we'll that. See. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see what's up. I'll, I'll, I'll bother Star about it. I haven't heard her posting Great. about, I haven't seen her posting about events there. So maybe something else happened and she's not doing events there, but I'll find out later. She, I, she did like the place. The, uh, she said the, for a small venue, the sound system was quite good and it seemed like they cared quite a bit about making sure that the DJs had everything they needed, which is actually pretty uncommon for a small venue. Yeah, very, very much so. Musicians and DJs. Um, so uh, yeah, maybe maybe she'd like to come on, or they'd like to come on and talk about it on yeah. Dumbbell at some point. Yeah, we we'll, know, we'll see. I'll, I'll I'll try to remember to um, try to remember to reach out to any of the affected parties, and maybe if you can help me, try to remember that too. Council, I can definitely do that. I'll send you a little Discord note. Yeah, that's great. Um, up next, we got a. Uh, apparently, Napa County is violating the constitutional rights of uh, winery owners. Let's see what the fuck's going on here. Now, our investigative unit recently also brought you news of the ongoing legal war in wine country. That's what Napa County code officials are trying to shut down a small local winery. Tonight, there's a twist. The owner of the winery, Lindsay Hoops, has joined with two other boutique wineries to formally request that the state attorney general and the U.S. attorney get involved. They're accusing the county of violating their constitutional rights. Now, as a former prosecutor, Hoop says she hopes outside attorneys will view the county's effort to shut her down as an abuse of regulatory authority. The goal is to win at no cost or expense spared. And this is something that is being carried out with taxpayer money Napa County code officials say they're simply enforcing existing rules against unpermitted tastings. They say Hoops Winery, with its animal sanctuary, string lights, and Airstream trailers, poses a nuisance in an agricultural preserve area. No response so far from federal or state authorities. Now, the legal battle has already cost Napa County taxpayers more than half a million dollars. The trial currently scheduled to begin early next year. <clears throat> oh, they just don't have a permit for fucking like people drinking alcohol on the premises. Yeah, that seems to be all it's about. Uh, much ado about nothing. I can't believe this can't get worked out outside of court um, and that there's talk of constitutional maybe, right violations. Maybe there's something in the fucking county code where that particular location cannot for whatever reason. Well, yeah, I mean, there's it might be zoning. It could be a lot of a lot of things. And sometimes properties, if they're a big property like a winery, you'll have multiple zoning areas on the property itself, right? Like this area over here is okay for building a house, right? Residential and someone living there. This area over here is only okay for agriculture, for like the plant growth. And then over here, this area is only zoned for the commercial, like into the tasting room, the, you know, the winery, the business of the winery itself. Um, so it could be that they just have some overlapping zoning and something's out of date and just they don't have the right permits to, or they can't get the right permits. They need a special use permit of some sort. Um, and maybe the county wasn't willing to grant it for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, there's more to it than than meets the eye as always with these cases. So we'll we'll continue to track it. It's just, I thought it was interesting to put on the docket simply because it was Napa County. I mean, what else, what other industry do you have in Napa County besides the wine industry that's really driving your economy? Hospitality, restaurants, but that's all, but it's uh, all downstream from, from, from. Yeah, exa exactly. It stems or from. Or not all the, of it, but enough of it is, yes. Right. It's it's it's, more, it's like a, the, the indirect impact, right, of it. Um, so, you you know, I, I don't know that it's in your best interest financially or, you know, public relations wise to go after, you know, your or to, to, to be this restrictive on your primary industry i think you think they'd figure out a solution um but it could be they, they you know we don't know the whole story maybe they have been trying to work on a solution with 
poop winery and the other, these other wineries and um, maybe perhaps it's the winery themselves that are just disappointed with the outcome um, and don't want to go through the process of doing what the city has or the county asked them to do and now they're crying foul that has happened as well but i tend to believe this the small business owner and the the little person for, for the most part when these issues come up so yeah i don't think this is a situation like in san jose where they do make it difficult to um for anybody to have you know uh, basically an alcohol a business or whatever. Yeah. yeah 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 or an ab- a, a business. business where entertainment is the because <clears throat> this is a certain kind of entertainment it's not my kind of entertainment yeah. if you wanted to take me wine tasting i'd be like listen you should spend that money on somebody that wants to taste the fucking wine all right right um, and spit it out apparently right like bring me back a bottle of wine for my sister thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah i went that, that was the one thing about the wine tasting that i never really got like so i, w- I would went with a friend real quick anecdote um wine tasting once right and you get the little flights and you, you you sniff it and they tell you about all the stuff they put in it and what it's supposed to taste like and suddenly you know after they talk about it for 10 minutes oh i can kind of taste the cherry and now that you've told me there's cherry in it um but you know i remember the first couple drinks i just you know drink swallow it like i'm drinking i'm drinking wine like what's the point what's the problem they're like no you spit it out you, to spit, you taste it and spit it out i'm like what's the fucking <laughs> it's like, like a I... snobby like sort of like in group out group almost like yeah. a there's actually uh, this podcast i listened to called like uh, sounds like a cult and they talked about wine culture in one of them and like one of the thing that you uh, mentioned is was sort of loomed large in their their um in their you know they they obviously came to the conclusion that it isn't a cult but that some of the behavior right. in it that that there's a lot of strong in group out group mentality going on there there is. I mean, the, the, the concept is you don't, you're not supposed to be drinking to get drunk. Okay, fine. I'm not drinking to get drunk, but I would like to get a nice little buzz. What else am I drinking wine or beer, you know, alcohol for in the first place? And I want to kind of gauge wine tasting to me would also be about gauging what is that like? What is the the buzz like? You know, is it, it doesn't a headache? give you heartburn? Yeah, you give heartburn. You get a headache. Like you feel dehydrated, or is it nice and smooth and you feel great and just really buzz? You know, got a nice little happy buzz on. Um, cause that would be part of the tasting experience to my tasting experience, but apparently for some folks, it's all about the taste and that's fine. Um, but you know, for like a, a, f- a food network show or something or a food contest, but for me, like if it's got alcohol in it, you know, yeah, it's like if I went, if I went vodka tasting or whatever, one of the big things would actually, if I'm picking a vodka, one of the big things is I actually want to get a little sideways and see if I feel like a human being when I wake up the next day. Right, right. How many times have you done, you know, done that? And you, it's awful, right? And you've never. I'm not I, going I just, back I to just, that brand anymore. You learn real early if you like to drink liquor. Actually, that do like if you're going to a place and like they got cheap drinks, you just politely ask, "Oh, what's your well? What's your well vodka?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you go 100%. look it up. <laughs> right, and then you make your decision about whether or not you want to spend that extra dollar to have, you know, or in this case, maybe five or five to have that Grey Goose or whatever, whatever you prefer. Um, as opposed to the the Smirnoff or the Well or whatever they're they're serving the Tito's because I've been to um, like beer tasting stuff and they we were never expected to spit the beer out. I just don't get Mr. Don't Mr. Get Mr. Brandon used to there anytime there was like a beer tasting in the South Bay he'd be like we're going to the beer tasting he's like we're going to find an IPA that you like and after six or seven times he's like well you don't like IPA friend. you don't like IPA <laughs> <laughs> I'm like thanks for spending all that money to on beer I don't like Brandon appreciate it. <laughs> Then he yeah, did whiskey to... tasting, and I'm like, Brandon, this is going to be like the beer tasting, dude. I don't like whiskey. But then I, I did find one that I kind of like. It's Hibiki, but and then I found out how much a bottle of that is, and I'm like, I don't like that anymore. No, right? Yeah, that that's why I would always bring over those IPAs, so I could be guaranteed that I'm only I'm going to be drinking them <laughs> in your place, because you just don't care for them. 
um, unless it, unless it's like you know a desperate situation. So um, I mean, if anyway. somebody you know if somebody has a like if you're at somebody's house or whatever and they want to do a whiskey toast or whatever, you just get a you, you go oh, a you little do. just a little bit for me. Yeah, whatever they're serving, you should play along. Um, yeah, I could always be guaranteed that my IPAs would still be in your fridge the week later when I came back. For <laughs> again no, when we were at the Campbell place, nobody would touch your IPAs. I loved it. I loved it. Um, so it's, it's the one benefit of being a, an IPA fan, at least in this, in this realm. But yeah, anyway, I mean like there would be there, sometimes there'd be dozens of people in and out of that fucking apartment. Oh, yeah. You'd come back the next time and then, yep, my beer is still here. <laughs> nice and cold. Like I left it beautiful. Um, that was after yeah, I got yeah, over nice like, and cold because it, it eventually got pushed to the back of the fridge. <laughs> by all the leftovers in the in the to-go boxes all right well enough enough about us and more about uh what's going on there so we're uh we're down to our favorite section i believe of the show which there's is a favorite second favorite section actually second favorite section that's right so get <laughs> get your shit together which spawned out of winners and losers because sometimes there's just someone who's losing that much um but uh looks i i had one story in here and now i had to move it out when i found this story this this has got to be pretty interesting so apparently this um, school had to apologize for losing someone's kid oh yikes i hope they got them back but anyway we'll find out more from uh abc7 our special ed program is dysfunctional it needs help real talk at tuesday night san lorenzo unified school district board of education meeting this after a five-year-old boy with special needs wandered from delray elementary school without staff realizing a concerned driver found him a third of a mile from the school I'm appalled by the district's lack of concern for my son. I call, I left messages that same day for you, Dr. Camp, for Kim Noble. I left messages, voicemails on with your assistants, Dr. Camp. Nobody from the district called me back. I'm Ooh. sure, you know, anyone here who has a child or knows a five-year-old, he was running on Bachman Road unattended. We do take that seriously, and uh, we, we want to make sure that all of our students are Two other parents shared similar experiences of their children with special needs being lost during the school day, including Janae Robinson, whose daughter Murphy was lost last year and later found in a classroom. We want our kids to learn and have a, a good environment. That's different. I think it's it's not great, but being found in the wrong classroom is a lot different than just wandering down the street. The right? Yeah, it's still cause for bit. concern because you know if they somebody lost the kid, it's just it's just a circumstance that they wandered into some other classroom versus off of the campus. Right. And they can't do that. Somebody in chat's like, this is amazing. We're watching a school board meeting where people have a legitimate beef. They don't have the right instructors to help them. A sentiment echoed by the president of the California School Employees Association, who questioned the training and qualifications of the district's paraprofessionals, staff members who assist the teacher in a classroom for children with special needs. I thought when, you know, it made the news that we would have some plans in place to try to get this taken care of. But there's nothing. I asked the superintendent about the district's special ed program. I would say the vast majority of the school days, uh, things work out. Is it acceptable to you as superintendent for there to be any one day where things don't work out and a child is able to leave the school? There are a lot of gaps in our school system overall. As if you, you know, if you look at. Uh, various achievement measures across the state. There are gaps in systems, and we're going to work to improve those gaps in the system. What is specifically being done to fill those gaps in the meantime? I'm not going to talk about the individual uh, situation nor just our overall staffing challenges, uh, but, but our intent is to have every position filled 
uh, and sometimes we're able to accomplish that in certain in certain areas and sometimes we do fall short of that. For that, board members apologized. No system is perfect, but what we have to do is hold ourselves accountable. I apologize for what you went through. These parents hope it's more than empty promises. Yeah, it's acceptable. It's a little, it's like a daily and a dollar short. I mean, and I had to come here. I'm hopeful, optimistic, cautiously optimistic. Following what happened, Tina's son Jojo is now at a different school within the district, as is Janae's daughter, though her school change was unrelated to her being lost. The district superintendent tells me he is proud of school staff and the systems that they do have in place. In the newsroom for the IT, Melanie Woodrow, ABC7 News. So the no call back thing is absurd. Yeah, and that happens. You think it's not just... I mean, I've worked on both sides of this now. I'm a parent now, but I'm up by, I've served as a public information officer for a major school district. And the concerns are oftentimes very valid that there's just a lack of responsiveness. And I know exactly how it happens, right? There were so many times when instances would happen and I would advocate for, you know, callback or community meeting or, you know, meeting with parents um, and between administration and parents. And it just... It just wouldn't happen, and there was it wasn't even like a laziness or an ignorance or just putting it aside. It's like a willful decision to not call or not have, make that call or to reach out or to be more public. And a lot of times, it, it seemed to emanate from a space of fear, of fear of what could happen or what that conversation could result in. Whether it's having to admit that you screwed up whether it's having to make changes and actually like change the system that you're working in, right. And to evolve and to do something different, right. Which causes more work, God forbid, um, a reluctance to do that or, uh, uh, but it's almost, it was almost never just willful, you know, ignorance or sort of, Oh, I forgot to call you back or we just got too busy. It's like, it's like willful did not, you know, denial, willful, um, uh, just burying your head in the sand or just being afraid and being, t having too many lawyers telling you, you can't say anything. Or you can't talk to them about this. Like they, the superintendent, I don't know who in the world let them, I don't think they probably don't have a public information officer at that district because who would, I don't, I don't know how you let that guy go out there and, and just be left to the wolves like that. Like he had no response at all. They asked him a very direct question. Like, you know, he said, well, we're not perfect. And there are, you know, you know, there are days when shit happens. It's like, okay, but how do you feel about that? Like, do you think that there should be any days when shit happens like this? Like what, what happens the one day when the kid wanders down the street and gets hit by a car or, or gets hurt or kidnapped or whatever, something happens to them, right? Like they lucked out in the situation that the kid, nothing happened to the kid. Well, they because lucked out most at, people are generally good. And if they see a five-year-old walking unattended, right, they're, they're gonna, going to try to intervene in a positive 100%. way. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, but I mean, even outside our door, we live across from schools right here, like elementary school, middle school, there are people that blow right through the stop sign at our intersection all the time, all hours of the day, right? And it's just a matter of time before a kid gets hurt, you know, hit. Um, so what would have happened if something had happened, right? Would they be saying the same thing? Well, you know, almost, most days things work out fine, right? Like that was a, such a great answer, such a great bureaucratic answer. It's been 30 days since our last child got run over, you know, <laughs> um, you know, bali to you uh but you got lucky like you said they got lucky that the other kid just wandered into a different classroom right or into the wrong space like i i get paranoid when i we've got the the baby bad baby here now i get freaked out when i spent you know if i turn my back for five seconds i know something could go really wrong with baby so i'm i'm constantly vigilant like my brain right now is thinking like what's going on with the baby even though i'm on this show and we're in here and the good wife is taking care of it and has it on lockdown i'm still thinking about what's going on with my kids so the fact that they got people who do this for a living and are licensed to do this and 
this is still happening. That's a real bad sign, whether it's a staffing shortage or whatever it is, you got to fix that and you have to own it. You have to admit it and you can't just back into it with like all this bureaucratic gobbledygook um, that they, you know, well, almost every day is, you know, we're not perfect and almost every day nothing happens, right? Well, something could happen tomorrow, right? Like uh, you never know um, and you've got to be prepared and you've got to have better response, but oh, get your shit together, <laughs> San Lorenzo School District. That's all I can say. <clears throat> well, we're going to move on to Down Ballot Watch, which is, uh, I mean, the show is mostly about local politics, but this is this is the segment that is directly about local politics and uh, local government agencies, oftentimes, uh, you know, not local government agency incorrect. Correct. And we're going to learn more about um, just the fallout from the recent scandal with SJPD and uh, the racist text, the NAACP. Once again, this is sec- their second appearance on the docket tonight. They're getting involved. In other news, new demands tonight from the South Bay chapter of the NAACP and other civil rights groups. Today, they are publicly demanding changes in San Jose City and law enforcement policies. It comes after a police officer was dismissed over racist texts. NBC Bay Area's Robert Honda outlines the demands and the department's quick response. A coalition led by the local NAACP, police watchdog groups, and a public defender say their anger and frustration has been brewing for years. A fuse was lit in 2022 when a young black man, Kawan Green, was shot four times outside the La Victoria Taqueria in San Jose when Officer Mark McNamara responded to a brawl inside the restaurant. It turned out Green had broken up the fight inside and taken a gun from an attacker. But while McNamara appeared remorseful at the time. He was let go by the police department last week when an internal affairs investigation turned up racist texts that included mocking green and hating black people. The community groups want the city to accept all of Green's civil lawsuit demands and want McNamara to be held more accountable, including decertification, so he can never again be a police officer. Are you more interested in protecting an institution or are you more interested in protecting our society? The former. That is the question that they must answer, and we're not going to listen to what they say. We're going to watch what they do. Silicon Valley Debug wants city police funding suspended. What they could do today is withdraw all their requests for more funding to police in the wake of this scandal, in the wake of this revelation. A racial justice specialist for the public defender's office says there needs to be justice for those who McNamara may have wronged as a cop. We would like to see every case that ex-officer McNamara has touched dismissed. We'd like to see every single case that he was involved and uh, tainted, frankly, um, dismissed. Reaction has been fast but limited. Police Chief Anthony Mata, who the group acknowledged took quick action, said in a statement, I fully agree with the Silicon Valley NAACP that former officer McNamara should not be a police officer in any other community. That sentiment was echoed by the POA and Mayor Matt Mahan, who also added, defunding would mean we have no one to call in a moment of crisis. It would disintegrate trust and make our city unsafe. The district attorney's office told us like more unsafe than this guy just saved the day and stole a gun from somebody and then got blatted fully funded yeah review all of mcnamara's cases at this point community group members say they remain skeptical and have one last demand they want the name or names of any officer who received mcnamara's texts in san jose yeah nbc who was he texting that's a good fucking that's a good fucking point who was he texting with even if they didn't respond 
if this right. guy thought that maybe they were racist too, well, if the racists think you're a racist, maybe you're a racist. Get think right if it's a com- if it's comfortable with you. If you're not responding, maybe silence is the is the uh, best evidence. But yeah, let's let's find. I want to. You've got to. You've got to be just as transparent with this as possible. You have to own it. You have to just un you know, sweep everything out from under the rug. If you're really serious, if you're really serious about reform and about doing something about it, then yeah, you'll engage with folks that are talking about defunding and talk about what that means to them and what that means to you. And uh, and, and alternative funding is something I, I, I like to espouse, right? It's not defunding police. It's moving money to areas where it can be better utilized and more and utilized for, for better purposes and for more successful programs, not necessarily putting more boots on the ground, right? Um, so you could be funding the police department at the same level, but maybe they're doing something different with the money, right? And they're doing something more effective with the resources. That's, that's the real, um, crux of it. So uh, perhaps hopefully this will spur that conversation a little more, but it, it just seems like it's just run of the mill, you know, stay the course, right? Like fire, fire the bad apple, get rid of the bad apple and that will save the whole batch, but the basket, but it's, uh, not necessarily. I think we found them over and over, and it's not the bad apple. It's a systemic problem. The tree is rotten. You got to dig the tree out. Yeah, and you know, I don't know. I feel like this. This is a situation like where there's a brawl and there's clearly a firearm involved. Where you, you know, you don't send a, a community organizer or a, a mental right. health professional. You do have to, unfortunately, send a a response that is uh, capable of um, enacting, I, I guess, violence if need be to uh, bring the situation to an end. But then like those people need better training because like the fact that the person has a firearm, they, the, if you saw in the video, what we saw, they're pointing it away from everyone, like up, like if the cops in their training, they, they learn how to like handle a gun and you, you, you don't, it's not pointed at any, like, this is what you have to, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Up and away to, from people. Right. You need people to respond, but you also need the responsible response, right? <laughs> responsible, right? Like you need to be trained and well-equipped to handle the situation um, and to be able to de-escalate situations in, in cases like that. And also to recognize what you're confronted with and not just always go back to the same old, same old, um, uh, you know, tried, whatever, tried and true <laughs> responses right like to think and to to be able to process information differently and to to use deductive and, and responsible reasoning in the moment yes it's it things are happening very very quickly for sure but there's still that's that i mean that's why we entrust you with all this power right we expect that you'll be better we expect that you will know what to do better than us and be able to respond um in you know in real time um and so maybe perhaps we're just not hiring the best and brightest, right? And we've lowered our standards to the point where this, these folks are not ready and equipped to handle these situations. I, I don't know that I'd be equipped to handle the situation, frankly, no. but I've also never been trained to be a police officer either. Right. Well, you have no desire it. to be one either. So I have no desire to do it either. Yeah. So like we, we count, we do count on folks to keep us safe, but we also, I also count on them to be responsible, tra- well-trained, you know, uh, and, and well-versed in all these situations and to handle the situation correctly because we're, we're, we are paying them enough. We should expect them, and, and we and we they have a job where they should be expected to be um, on a higher plane. Um, and I mean, not for not not for nothing. Like <clears throat> they were firing into a a building that people restaurant. were in. Yeah, like yeah. The the I mean, this is yeah. bad enough. But what if someone else caught a stray, like a bystander caught it? Like yeah. 
so much of it smacks of just really reckless behavior. I mean, it happens right. just so much. Cowboy right? shit. I, Cowboy shit. Yeah. And I can speak from personal experience, right? It's just, just collateral damage, right? Like uh, I was at a protest for, five, you know, basically five minutes and I endured the same BS that, you know, anyone else did. And I, I was barely even, I was barely there, <laughs> but you know, uh, that was how they responded to me. So, um, if, if I have the councilman can, has to deal with this shit, I can't imagine what, you know, a black man or another person, a person of color or anyone in this, in this city, um, who doesn't have my privilege has to deal with. It's just ridiculous. So yeah, something has to be done. And, what? and mayor mayhem with your, you know, uh, well, well, if we defund, it'll just, keep everyone unsafe it's like that's not the right response <clears throat> up next we got a uh, alameda county da's office has been in our news a lot and apparently uh, a, a former uh, we'll say a former recipient of their services uh, uh showed up at their office uh, with a firearm let's see let's see what happened here safety concerns at the office of the Alameda County District Attorney after a convicted felon man was a caught arrested while trying to get into the office with a gun. It comes as sources tell us that employees are already anxious and concerned and frustrated that DA Pamela Price's decision to keep her personal office with a staff of prosecutors and investigators in a private building that lacks traditional security measures like metal detectors. Tonight at a story you'll see only on NBC Bay Area why some say it's putting everyone in that building at risk. Here's Valina Jones. God. 61-year-old Javier Innocencio is the man at the heart of a new security scare at the Alameda County District Attorney Consumer Justice Bureau. Court records obtained by NBC Bay Area allege Innocencio told DA investigators on Monday he was going to use a gun to kill himself after the DA's office declined to pursue a complaint. Injury attorney William Berg explains Innocencio is a former client and says the man has been harassing his office for months, demanding a larger payout from a case that's been closed for a year. He started contacting our office and said that he deserved more money and he demanded more money. And his demands, which started out as irrational. Prosecutors then say on Tuesday, Innocencio went to the sixth floor of the building where dozens of prosecutors work, including DA Pamela Price, and demanded to speak to an inspector. Someone in the office recognized him and immediately searched him. And that's when they found Innocencio, a convicted felon, was carrying a loaded gun and had to be wrestled to the ground and disarmed. The incident has rattled both the attorney who used to represent Innocencio and those who work in the DA's office. Big issue that concerns me is this person appears to be mentally ill and he has access to firearms. Berg says after eight weeks of threats and social media posts, he hired security and took out a restraining order against Innocencio last month. Javier never stops. So we tried to reason with him. Uh, that did not work. Um, uh, the Alameda Police Department contacted him. Uh, that did not stop him. 
today as Innocencio appeared in court. His attorney argued Innocencio never claimed to hurt himself or others and believes a language barrier was preventing him from being clearly understood when he initially talked to DA investigators. Today, Innocencio pled not guilty to firearm charges and is being held on $60,000 bail. The DA's office argued Innocencio posed a clear threat to attorneys in their office. It's a risk Berg believes could become even more dangerous if not addressed. But at some point he's going to get out. If his mental illness is not addressed, uh, uh, myself and my entire staff are at risk. Sources also say the incident is raising questions about the DA's decision to move her office to a private building rather than a county facility where people would be required to pass through metal detectors. In Oakland, Valina Jones, NBC Bay Area News. That, uh, that attorney seems like a pretty all right guy. He's like, hey, we tried to reason with this guy. We tried to get him to, you know, we tried to use our powers of persuasion. We are lawyers, after all, to get this guy to chill the fuck out. And eventually right. we had to get a restraining order against him. And he's like, now that this guy's in, in, you know, in jail and likely going to end up in prison, we need to do something to address this guy's problems. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, that's a, that's like, you know, that's a fucking, that's pretty enlightened for a personal injury lawyer. <laughs> like, Especially that guy's personal injury lawyer, right? This is a client yeah. he's talking about. Yeah, um, and this and guy I was just, also like on the receiving end of threats from this guy. And he was like, like, I mean, he was, you know, clearly concerned for his safety and the safety of his employees, but also like he showed like some compassion for the guy who is like, he believes to be in like a bad place mentally. Like most, you know, the, uh, the, the stereotype about these personal injury attorneys is that they're fucking sharks. And this true, guy seems like chasers. pretty fucking right on dude, actually. Yeah, no, he, and he's uh, compassionate and, and realistic, too, about the situation, right? Uh, I did not appreciate, however, this implication by others about, oh, well, the it's the DA's fault because she moved her office. You know, it's like, can we stop piling on? Like, she's using it as another opportunity to go after this this person, right? It's just another, more fodder for her enemies, unfortunately. Um, but it's just sad to see that that's that's the response of some people, right? Is that, oh, the DA should have moved their office to this building because then this shit wouldn't happen. Not what you said, like the personal injury lawyer having compassion and empathy for this person who's obviously got some issues and is obviously going through some shit and been through some shit. What can we do to help them, right? And make sure this doesn't happen again with them and that everyone's safe from them, right? And then from themselves. But no, it was the, we're, we're going to talk about how the DA is to blame because she moved her office um, to uh, this other building, um, it's, it's just sad. Um, and I'm, um, you know, I'm not looking forward to that recall campaign, but it's coming already. Um, the signatures are being gathered. So, well, we can, it is. we can use what little influence we have maybe to maybe to push the, push the scales, push the scales there Ooh. a little bit. I'll use magic. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, we're coming up on it and we've got a couple uh, quick hits before we, we call it, uh, a week. Um, but this week in vehicle versus, uh, structure, actually a uh, tragic vehicle versus structure, although luckily no death involved yet, but, um, it's a very serious injury. So uh, we're going to find out more about a, a car that flew literally into a home. And also breaking this morning, overnight in Oakland, a horrific crash, sending a car flying into a home, landing a woman in the hospital. Now that crash also highlighting the city's ongoing problem with 911 response times. Today in the base, Chris Sanchez joins us with more on how two homeowners are describing what happened. You know, those two homeowners are very, very lucky that they decided to watch TV last night because when that car landed on the roof of their bedroom and came crashing down, it was right where they sleep and they weren't there. Now this is the 
aftermath of that crash that happened on the 400 block of Worth Street in neighborhood mm. off 880 in Hagenberger. Witnesses saw that car speeding down 85th Avenue before it crashed and went flying into a parked truck and then into a second car before landing in that home. Even with the chaos outside, though, Paul Opus told us that he was afraid to open the door because given his neighborhood, he says, he feared it was a shooting and said he didn't know when police would show up. I didn't know what's going on because I can hear splinters flying around. So I just duck and crawl away from, from this one. I went uh, behind my couch and then I heard people was no, I can yelling, hear people screaming. yelling, screaming. And that's when I stand up and I saw the car was over here. It was his wife, Maria Rodriguez, says that when they finally did go outside, they saw a woman trapped in the wreckage of that car. Some neighbors were trying to get her out while other neighbors were calling 911. When they finally did get her out, Rodriguez says she was in and out of consciousness, bleeding and appeared to be pregnant. We can't confirm that, but that's what the witness said. Rodriguez was shocked at how long that woman had to lay on the ground on a neighbor's blanket waiting for help hour before we got somebody got help took a whole hour it took long i'm sorry i'm i didn't want to fault anybody but it took that person could be dying right there now, as our NBC Bay Area investigative unit has reported, Oakland has the second worst response time in the state of California. Oakland is failing to answer 911 calls in a timely manner. People are waiting 20 to 30 minutes on the line if they get an answer. And the department stopped recruiting new dispatchers. The Oakland City Council has called for a report to identify the issues. That report is due next month. You can find all of Candace's reporting on Oakland's 911 system on NBCBayArea.com under the investigations tab. As for the woman who was involved in that crash, she was finally transported by ambulance to a hospital. We don't yet know what her condition is at this oh. point. Marcus and Laura. Well, usually oh, we uh, try to decide uh, whether the vehicle or the structure one, but I think we can maybe refrain from that one this time because that's pretty fucking horrifying. Yeah, very much so. Although it definitely looks like, especially since the woman in question was the driver, it looks like the car probably took the brunt of it. Um, but uh, yeah, best of luck to her and her recovery. Hopefully, it's it, she is um, she does fully recover. Um, but yeah, it, not not the best awakening if you're sitting there watching TV to have a car flying into your house. Um, so I guess it's good that no one else was hurt, and hopefully. Um, it will not result in loss of life, um, but certainly happens way too often, which is why we have a segment on the show about it. Anyway, um, one last thing and another thing, um, and it's related to APEC, um, but uh, it looks like some uh, folks are trying to show off some of the, one of the better sides of San Francisco are their artistic, funky, quirky nature. So a little bit more about that. At first glance, these orange-clad climbers on San Francisco's iconic Transamerica Pyramid caused a bit of concern. We got scared. We thought something else was going on. As bystanders tilted their necks, flashbacks of this anti-abortion activist scaling Salesforce Tower in 2022 came to mind. I assumed it might be a little protest going on because part of the whole APEC thing. Upon closer inspection, it was clear these were artists. This trio's impressive choreography is the work of nonprofit Bandaloop, who says they were asked by the city and the Transamerica Pyramid to kick off APEC. 
we perform and dance on buildings all over the world. We're trying to bring unity through the joy of, of public art. The sense of awe and disorientation and disruption is something that we welcome as part of the impact of our work. SFPD Chief Bill Scott has warned those who choose less legal forms of distraction. Because this is a national special security event, the U.S. Secret Service is the lead as far as the security on this event, and we could not ask for it. Well, look at that guy look, trying, to, trying, to look, trying to look like Ron DeSantis behind him. Look at that. In other parts of the city, a noticeable increase in security. Or lack thereof. Right. And cleanup efforts are clear. This alleyway off Van Ness Avenue, known for homeless encampments in recent years, was... Yo. Yo, I know exactly where that alleyway is. <laughs> oh, we used to throw, we used to throw raves. In oh my the God. Empty, minus some debris. <laughs> like I know exactly where that is. The dungeon was right there. The interesting part is seeing them clean the city up, uh, seeing all the uh, highway patrols staying out of our hotel uh, and all the barricades they put up. Yesterday I saw many homeless people around it, you know, the, the, the city. Mm-hmm. But, but today I think they, they broke or, or something, yeah? Not to burst one's bubble, but with closed roads and 20,000 people expected to descend on San Francisco this week. Some hope it won't scare other tourists away. And I have to say, there are more people here today than I even expected. Maybe people decided to come out today, you know. The lids was bringing them all in. Everybody needs a hat. Uh, and speaking of that rain, according to Spencer, that is expected to move in shortly after midnight. As for this evening, I'm actually hosting the Business Advisory Council Gala, where Mayor Breed, Secretary of the Treasury, Janet Yellen, and more are expected to attend. Mm-hmm. In San Francisco, Dion Lim, ABC7 News. That, so that was interesting because it was supposed to be about the, the, the artists, but actually they were just shitting on San Francisco again. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, it's more doom loop. <laughs> Uh, yeah, this is great and all, but really there's all this skeeviness going on and we really need to clean it up. Um, well, uh, another thing from, from APEC, uh, if you look I up just, and you see people dangling from a building, it's not always, you know, the worst case scenario. Yeah. Before, before we get out of here, I don't think anybody's really going to protest this thing. I think outside of like the fact that the city's trying to like push this as a big event, like to bring more, um, <clears throat> conferences. And I think most people don't even know what's happening. Yeah, for sure. Outside the people that are mostly concerned with it, right, and political folks like us. Um, but yeah, it, it's it seems like a lot of of effort over something, you know, not that doesn't necessarily merit it. Um, and at the end of the day, I don't think San Francisco is going to have any shortage of conferences wanting to come and locate there. You know, no matter how bad the doom loop narrative gets, uh, I think that a lot of people, folks still just see beyond that and also understand that it's a city any other city it doesn't matter what city they go to at their conference they're going to deal with shit um so uh and, and there's so much good about san francisco and about the bay area that overcomes whatever shit you might in- encounter from it's just being a freaking urban environment yep well, well that's is. the show you want to you want to read us out yeah for sure absolutely uh, stay tuned for uh thank well, first of all thanks for joining us for down ballot uh we do this every tuesday at 7 30 pacific when, except when we don't um when you know one of us has something else to do or both of us um sometimes happens uh so stay tuned for public comment uh and the red light portion of the show this evening with producer dave and uh also stay tuned for all of the wonderful content we provide here on echoplex media twitch.tv slash echoplex media is the place to go to watch catch us on your podcaster of podcatcher of choice please download keep us the ninth best uh, political podcast in california and of course get vaxxed wear a mask pants are optional this is audible smoke and we'll see you next week have a great night peace out <laughs> Oh
To get the party started Pick up my phone just to check and see who's calling Dress up real nice for the ladies at the bar And I'm driving in my car just to get to where they are Here at the local scene is where I plant my feet It's where I smoke my cigarette and I hold my drink I look at all my friends, they're all blazing greens Here at the front of the stage waiting for FTV Where are those guys who's standing next to me With a pipe in his hand ready to blaze for me About five minutes later we're all singing We to get the fuck up on Kicking in, I hear we left playing, and you know it's time to head in. Alright, everybody, now it's time to grab a new drink. Spark it if you got it, and then pass it to me. Yeah. We do what we want, and what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. We do what we want, what we want to do, what we want is to jam. So sit back and enjoy the band. Shouldn't you be inside? I'm all up in this bitch being who I gotta be I'm fucked up like the US economy The truth is is that I don't think logically Stone to E take you on a psychedelic odyssey Now inside motherfuckers is rocking me And outside shit we smoke a lot of rockin' Rockin' the rolly, you're the sexy groovy jockin' me Ain't too drunk to fuck but I'll probably do a sloppin' We do what we want Yeah.
Friday nights at 9 p.m., it's time to sit back, relax, and play conspiracy bingo with Echoplex Media. We've curated the best conspiracy theorists the internet has to offer and turned it into a live bingo game you can play for free with absolutely no prizes but bragging rights. You won't find a live stream like this anywhere else, and that's probably better for everyone else's mental health. Tune in every Friday at 9 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash echoplexmedia and find our full schedule at echoplexmedia.com.